Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geeks podcast. I'm Flight Corporal Jack Anderson, and I'm here with Flight Corporal Nadim Elgazar. Hello, everyone. And Flight Corporal Aiden Paul. How's it going? And in this week's episode, we have a very special guest, retired Captain Kent Smurden, who has flown in both the military and the commercial field, and has volunteered to come and speak with us on this very special episode of the 102 Squadron podcast. So Captain Smearden has even written a book called Flight Lines, which we'll give him a chance to talk about later. Yep, and Captain Smearden entered the Royal Military College of Canada at Kingston and graduated in 1973. He then received his wings in Cold Lake in December of 1975. His primary aircraft was the Voodoo, and he did two tours at uh, 409 Squadron at Comox and then as a, an instructor at 410 Squadron at Begotville. Yeah, he left for Air Canada in 1980 and came back to the Air Force on a six-year LOA when uh, he did a tour at NDHQ and was promoted to major and took over Challenger flight at 412 VIP Squadron at Uplands in Ottawa. He then returned to Air Canada in 1988 and retired in 2010 as a Boeing 767 captain. So Captain Schmierden, he has flown a variety of aircraft throughout his commercial military career. Some of these... In, from his commercial career, anyway, include, like I just said, the Boeing 767, the Airbus 319, the 320, and the 321. In his military career, he flew the Tudor, the T-33, the CF-101 Voodoo, again, as mentioned before, as well, the Bell 206 Jet Ranger helicopter, and a few more. All right. Yeah. So thank you, sir, for being here tonight. And how are you? Very fine. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. We're very happy to have you here. All right, so we have, uh, I believe, eight questions here that we'd like to ask you. Um, first of all, so as was just stated, you flew both as a military pilot and a commercial pilot. What are some of the big differences between the two? Well, I think, I think the biggest difference is, of course, the type of aircraft. Um, you know, airlines are confined to airplanes that are designed to carry people and freight from, from A to B. But the military offers uh, a fantastic uh, range of aircraft. Um, I was fortunate to fly a supersonic interceptor as well as a helicopter and a single otter on floats and a whole variety of aircraft that really aren't applicable to the airline. So, and it's, it's just the nature of the role of, of the two different organizations. As I said, airlines basically A to B flying and military, you name it, uh, war, uh, aerial support, search and rescue, um, anti-sub warfare, uh, all, it offers a huge variety of aircraft, whereas the airlines pretty much is the same type. Yeah, for sure. There's obviously, yeah, every job has its difference and that's, Pretty cool how you explained that. And uh, I'd also like to ask, what were the different processes to becoming a, a pilot in the military and becoming an airline pilot? Are they similar or are they fairly different? Uh, would you like to explain? Well, um, Art Cameron here has done basically the same as I did. He learned to fly in the military and then took that experience to uh, onto the airline. And given that the airline is the ultimate goal of a lot of pilots um i mean there's a lot of people that 
that stay in the Air Force for their career, or they learn to fly in the bush up north and they 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 stay they and they love it and good for them. But if the ultimate goal as a professional pilot is to become an airline pilot, then the then the Air Force is just one other way of doing it. Um, I was thinking about this answer before the podcast, and I thought there's a whole bunch of different ways you can get to an airline company, but the airline company is looking for experience and ratings. And there's a bunch of different ways you can get it. The Air Force is one. Um, organizations like Seneca College or any uh, any sophisticated flight school um, is a different way. Um, Art and I did it through the military and uh, as I say in my book, it was lovely because it was courtesy of the taxpayer whereas someone who wants to do it the hard way is uh, maybe get their private pilot's license through the air cadets and then to get the further ratings that make them attractive to an airline company, sometimes it costs a heck of a lot of money. And now more now than ever. Um, before I joined the military, before I went to RMC, or sorry, no, it wasn't that. It was between academic years at RMC. I took uh, eight hours of dual instruction in a Cessna 150 at Buttonville Airport in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. My, my home was in Toronto. It was 50 bucks an hour. And now it's, I don't know what. I don't know. Any, anybody care to take a guess? I think it's about a few hundred dollars an hour. So. Few, a few hundred dollars an hour. Well, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. So it's an expensive uh, way to do it. Um, but to do, to do it through the military, you still have to pass the military um, process to get your wings. And it's arduous, as it should be. Right. So well, how much has the job of an Air Force pilot changed since you were in the military? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I think the biggest change is the fact that there's not enough flying available in the Air Force anymore. I mean, Art Cameron can speak uh, about the Air Force in his day, um, and I can speak about the Air Force in my day. Bear in mind, uh, I mean, I got my wings in 1974 in December. Art, when did you get yours? 21st of July, 1961. Okay, so there he is, uh, 13 years um, before me, and back in Art's day, I mean, I believe there was an Air Force, a Royal Canadian Air Force, worthy of the name. It wasn't bad in my day, but since then, um, there's been a lot of airplanes that have been parked or retired. And uh, although the flying, I think the roles have been maintained, I think the, 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 the physical amount of airplanes and amount of flying that you could do in the Air Force has been drastically reduced from the 50s and the 60s. And that's, I think that's evident to anyone who, who cares to, uh, to research it. There's just not the hours to fly. 
And if I'm going to get a little bit controversial here, I can say that to be an FAT pilot, to do all things and all people, do air intercept, air to ground, air to air, air combat maneuvers, you know, cap, all these roles, and you're flying five hours a month, 10 hours a month. I don't think anybody can be current and competent to the best of their abilities with those kinds of hours. That's just my opinion. Art, what do you think? Yes, to a degree. Uh, simulation has come a long ways from uh, the days when uh, I had a simulator for the Harvard, for example, was a link trainer. Sure, I understand that. Um, and the best we had on the 104 was driven by analog computers. And, yeah. Uh, now it's everything is digital. Well, um, it's a it's a good answer, a good point, Art. And and I can say that when I flew the three hundred and twenty in the airline, the simulators were so sophisticated that if the forecast and the flight plan of the simulator said it was snowing out, you could see the snow falling through the windscreen, and you could see your tire tracks as the mule pushed you back from the gate. I mean, that level of sophistication just wasn't available in the sixties and the seventies. So, all right, I, I, I'm, I see your point, but nothing takes the place of actual uh, time in the air, in my opinion. Yeah, I, sure. agree I can with you add on that one, sir. If I could add really quick, uh, for the first time on One Two Squadron podcast history, we actually have an audience beside our supervisor, uh, CV. <laughs> we have a. Uh, we have Mr. Art Cameron and Lieutenant Colonel Bill Sargent, so you could hear them chiming in from time to time. But uh, yeah, so this is actually a historic moment. Oh, good. Good. Um, so, sir, sort of uh, similar to what was just asked, I know you touched on this a little bit, but how would you say that the commercial aviation industry has changed since you flew? Oh, my goodness. Um... In, in, in several ways, uh, female pilots, for one, big one. Um, uh, and I think the, the, the answer to the reason for that is obvious in that in the 50s and 60s and the 40s, when airline flying was just at its in, in its infancy, um, without hydraulic assist, it took physical strength sometimes to manhandle a large aircraft. And now with hydraulics and trim and automatic stuff, I mean, the, 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 the women in the crowd are just as competent as the men because the skill set is the same and you don't need the strength. That's, that's one change. Um, the other change is a little more, I think, sinister, and that's the whole 9-11 thing. Um, the, on that day, I think flying became a lot less fun. Um, in the airline world, uh, much more business-like. Um, I think a massive collective sense of humor failure uh, hit the whole business. Um, I was stuck in Denver for five days, by the way, for 9-11. For um, it happened on the morning that we were, we were pre-flighting to come back to Toronto. We'd overnighted in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we went to the airport the next morning, and uh, the, as you know, what happened, it was uh, very strange, to say the least. 
And me and my crew were stuck in Denver for five days before we could get home, as were people all over the world, as you know. So that day, really, I think, um, in my career, changed aviation, commercial aviation, uh, I think more than anything I experienced. Okay. Um, well, sir, you did talk a little bit there about um, why there are more female pilots nowadays. I think um, the big reason for that was uh, back in the 50s and 40s, um, it wasn't really common to see a woman having a job at all. So I think um, having a pilot mm. job was for sure a lot less common back then. Well, um, true. And, and of course, the, the vast majority of stewardesses, as they were called back then, which is just the feminine version of steward, um, when Air Canada, TCA, started, I believe that uh, to be a stewardess with TCA, you had to also be a nurse. So that was another qualification that had to be uh, added. And, of course, there weren't a whole lot of male nurses and there were a lot of male pilots. So um, uh, that's just my observation. Um, okay. I think that probably did contribute to it quite a bit, sir. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And I'm, 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 I'm all for it. I mean, uh, I've flown, I've never flown with a female captain. I've flown with a few female first officers, sharp as attack, like <laughs> no difference. Like why should there be? They're the, trained the same way. Yeah, sure. sure. As, Completely. As yeah. long as you go through the training. Yeah. Sure. There, yeah, there's no reason. And uh, we'd also like to ask, uh, you told us that you wrote a book called, uh, I believe it was Flight Lines. Why don't you, you tell us about that? Well, um, I, uh, I like to hear a good story and I like to tell a good story. And uh, the Air Force um, was fertile ground, if you will, for war stories of all manner. And when I was flying with Air Canada, we you know you, you, you'd, hear, you'd hear stories at the bar or in layovers and, or at the, in the cockpit or uh, at the ops room uh, before flight. And, and some of them were pretty funny and some of them were pretty serious and some of them were sort of in between. And I started taking notes and writing these stories down because as you all know, you hear a good story and the next day, especially at our age, you forget it. So um, I started writing these notes down. And after I retired, um, I thought, hey, why not record them? So uh, I started writing and uh, it took, oh my goodness, probably five or six years to finish the book. And it's over 300 pages long. Um, the people who have read it have enjoyed it. It's not a book just for pilots. It's sort of a peek behind the curtains, if you will. Um, and its subtitle is Assorted Lies, Recollections, and War Stories. So I'm covered. Like, if somebody says, hey, Kent, that didn't happen, I say, check the title. <laughs> but it was fun. It was, I'm glad I did it. I'm proud of it. And, um, uh, it's just one of the reasons I did it was to record these stories that I had been part of, or my father told me some stories from his days in the RCAF, 
uh, to write them down before they're forgotten, before they disappear. That was the that was the motivation for me. That plus I like to write. Um, and then your book, what was it called again? I think I have it written down here somewhere. Um, flight lines. Flight lines, and then we can find that just by searching up flight lines, or is there somewhere else that you have to look for it? Well, if you Google kentsmerton.com, it will take you to my website, which will take you to links. You can buy the book. You know, you can buy Amazon. Uh, Barnes and Noble, you know, you, you any major book seller, Friesen Press is the publisher. They'll they have a they have a website of their own that that sells my book. They they published it. But um, if you Google flight lines, you're going to get a whole bunch of books that are titled the same. And there's a few of them. Um, you may find mine, but if you Google my name, you'll get it for sure. And we could actually put in the like the description of this podcast wherever it is you're probably where to find your book so everyone can if they're interested they could well you don't have to do that <laughs> but like i always say all donations are gratefully accepted yeah, well, that yeah, sounds like it, an amazing book sir i'm yeah i think i'm gonna go buy it, it sounds like it'd be a good read well um it, it, for the people who have read it they you know it's it's not, like I said, it's not a book just for pilots. Like I said, it's a peek behind the curtains. And people who have no connection with flying have told me they quite enjoyed the book. Because it's not a, you know, there I was, you know, you know, there I was on fire, upside down, short final type thing. Um, it's just a bunch of funny stories about what I did and what I heard uh, during my flying career. And art, I'm sure you have a ton as well. But pilots don't like paperwork, and so they don't write them down. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, speaking of which, do you have any interesting stories from being a military or also commercial pilot you might be able to tell us here? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, not off the top of my head, but... Um, I think probably one of the most memorable things, and not for a good reason, was uh, my experience with 9/11, and which was which was not good, which was not a fun experience, just uh, memorable. Uh, and then the other one was I was stranded by the volcano, so uh, I was I was stuck in two places for two completely different reasons, but. Uh, the volcano, the Icelandic volcano that hit, I believe, in 2008. No, later than that. I think it was the year before I retired. Um, I happened to be stuck in London, England. So, wow, that's, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> because the uh, airspace was, sh was shut down because of the volcanic ash and, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a story about the volcano. Um, I forget how many crews were stranded in London, but there was a there was a there was a bunch of us. Um, and I remember seeing a, a newscast. Uh, there was a, a newscaster from one of the British uh, television stations standing on the button 
of runway, I think it was 28 right, standing on the button. Now this is an air, this is a runway that in probably living memory had not, you, you could not do that because they're landing airplanes every one or two minutes. He was standing on the button of the runway saying, the people around here are going nuts because of the silence. They're coming out of their front doors. These are the people that live right in the neighborhood of Heathrow Airport. They're coming out of their front doors. They can hear children playing. They can hear birds chirping. They can hear the car traffic going by and everything else is silence. And it was really, really bugging them because as you know, Heathrow Airport is one of the busiest airports in the world. And either they're taken off or they're landing and sometimes at the same time on two different runways. But they're, you know, you get used to the constant noise. And they said, the, the people are here, they're, they're all going nuts because it's so quiet. So it was a very strange happening. I would have thought they would have been really appreciative of the of the no noise. I mean, I've heard lots of protests against all that noise. It seems weird that they almost missed it. It sounded like they missed it from the way you described that. I think, I think a lot of them did. But uh, there he was standing on the button of 28 right and uh, nothing happening, like no noise. It was just uh, uh, absolute silence. It was one of the, one of the stranger stories that came out of the, of the volcano. That actually reminds me of like, a, it's more or less unrelated. It has as still has to do with like the noise pollution of a military facility nearby. Yeah. I actually remember um, there's this place, I think it's in Germany. It's just like a, it's just like a, a weapons testing area in Germany. There's a town like right next to it and they had to invent tank suppressors to, to keep track of all the noise. Really? They're like, they're bigger than the tanks. They're huge. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I, I mean, my wife grew up uh, beside a railway track and, you know, the train would go by and everybody gets used to it. But uh, it was the lack of noise that got everybody's attention. And um, the other thing I'll tell you about the volcano was that the bunch of us, uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of pilots got together and we called ourselves the Lost Boys from uh, Peter Pan. And we just, you know, sort of moved away from the rest of the group. And we went up to... Uh, to uh, the uh, RAF Museum at Hendon, which was a fantastic visit. The skies were clear pretty much the whole time we were there. It was, it was, I think, early summer or during the summer months. Very good weather in England. But if you, if you run your finger across it like a, a, the hood of a car, you could pick up this ash. So there was, there was ash um, present. Um, you couldn't see it, uh, you couldn't smell it, but you could see it. You could pick it up from from hard surfaces. Uh, I, I I don't know. I think I, I think they may have overreacted a little bit about it, but they the fact is they didn't know the uh, they knew the hazards of volcanic ash, but they didn't know to what degree. All right. Well, thank you for that, sir. Um, so just finally, we ask this question to every one of our guests. If you could choose one aircraft to fly, which one would you choose and why? If I could choose one aircraft to fly, civilian or military? Either. Um, either one, sir. 
In my day, the military, uh, the aircraft I would have wanted to fly was the 104. That, that to me was flying. That was like serious, we mean business over in Europe, low level, serious flying. Don't get me wrong, I love the Voodoo. Um, it was a big machine and it had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of power to it and a lot of firepower too. And we flew in all weather. Um, we flew um, in conditions that I think would frighten some of the 104 guys. <laughs> but uh, the 104 was, I think, the airplane of choice in my day in the military, and I always wanted to fly. I missed it by one by one slot. Oh, that oh, sucks. That's, yeah. that's too yeah. bad, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in civilian life, um, my favorite aircraft, I believe the greatest airliner that ever was ever built was the Lockheed, or the, uh, sorry, Lockheed, Boeing 767. Oh, it's a beautiful aircraft. My favorite machine, uh, simple, reliable. Um, that that would be my 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 dream airplane uh was the 767 the airplane i retired on so there you have it all right well thank you sir um just before we end tonight's episode is there anything else that you uh thought we should know or anything else you wanted to add about being a pilot um just that i think like any pilots who have had a career like i have uh you, you just thank your stars um to 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 go through the military uh to fly the airplanes i flew and then end up uh with the country's largest airline and having a pretty fantastic career there are so many pitfalls and obstacles in the way not of your own making so much as you know your vision goes your heart goes something happens they're not they're not hiring and the whole career, your whole, uh, your whole wish, your whole drive it can, can, can be taken from you. So to have gone through it, to have made it from start to finish, like any Air Canada or any airline pilot that has gone to retirement age, it's, it's a dream job. It's, uh, to anyone who's done it, uh, I feel unbelievably fortunate. All right. Well, thank you, sir. That just about wraps up our time for tonight. But just before we go, we'd like to have a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by the 102 Squadron Air Cadets. Right now, we were unable to do our normal fundraising due to the pandemic. So instead, we made a squadron cookbook. All three of us are members of the cookbook committee and have seen the months of hard work that have gone into it. It includes recipes from almost every cadet, officer, and member of staff. Books are finally available for pre-order, and the order form can be found on the 102 Squadron website under the Announcements tab. For sure. This book is our main fundraiser for this year. We haven't got a chance to do our, our main ones, so we'd really appreciate if everyone bought a cookbook. Yes, and with that said, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Ave Geeks podcast, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Have a good one.